3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
4: Today's sponsor is Loot Crate. And for less than $20 a month, Loot Crate gives the geek in you a special treat every month. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with $40 plus worth of geek, gamer, pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics delivered to your mailbox every single month. This month's theme is time, and quite appropriately, because Loot Crate is celebrating the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future in Part 2. This is the exact month that is happening. <laughs> the timeless appeal of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they are also celebrating, and the timey whiny charm of Doctor Who. So time in general, don't you see how it all weaves together? You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And then when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. You're never going to get those items again. So go to lootcrate.com backslash words. Enter the code words to save $3 on your new subscription today. So do it up. Get cool stuff to your mailbox. Awesome. Here's the show. another episode of 100 words or less the podcast i am your host ever present ever humbled by your presence with me in your ears while you are running while you are i was gonna say go to the bathroom but that's a little weird right i think i've listened to some podcasts while i've gone to the bathroom but regardless whatever you are doing thank you for joining me on this weekly journey through independent music i hope you continue to enjoy this month of narrow focus ...on the music genre known as hardcore. This month is called Faces of Modern Hardcore. And I am focusing each week on a person who is integral to the contribution of what is happening within the context of modern hardcore as it stands now. And the guest this week is none other than Evan Wyvel from Mindset, the lead vocalist. And he is also the CEO proprietor of React Records, a spectacular record label from the Baltimore area that has a, uh, a long history in putting out hardcore of all different shapes and sizes and more context on him and the label in a minute but let's get some house cleaning out of the way. Let's get some observations out of the way. You know how this goes. If you listen on a weekly basis, you know how I structure this show. And if you don't like it, then you already fast forward through anyway. So things have been busy. There is some fun stuff that's coming around the corner. I promise you it's going to be in probably early to mid-November. I will be able to let you know what me and a couple friends have been working on for quite some time. And then also for those people who are contributing to the Other cool audio stuff I'm doing, I promise I will email you back. (laughs) It's just been very hectic and trying to pull together other shows that are kind of splintering off the 100 words or less family. Because I have very talented friends that also have very strong opinions on stuff in general. So I'll be working on a lot of stuff. So if if this weekly digest of, of independent music is not enough for you, you'll be able to consume even more. Which is exciting. So, uh, yeah, that's enough of that. Let's let's talk about why Evan for Mindset and React Records is on the show this week. I've never met him in real life. We have only uh, spoken this one time, and it was a great conversation. So, Mindset, for those of you who are unaware, is a, um, for lack of a better term, a youth crew hardcore band from the East Coast. And uh, the reason why I deem them important and important enough to be able to uh, receive this very prestigious platform of being interviewed on my show. Mindset is uh, a band that definitely has the, uh, I guess, the king label placed on them in regards to the uh, old school hardcore crown. So in my mind, they're probably the band that is waving the flag the highest for straight edge hardcore in regards to the style of music that they play. And then on top of that, Evan also inherited, now runs, React Records. Uh, Aram from Champion used to run the record label. And then a couple years ago, I want to say about yeah two or so, he bequeathed it to Evan because uh, Aram just simply didn't have the resources or time to dedicate to it. And he didn't want the label to languish and kind of go by the wayside. So... Evan picked it up, and he has been running with it for the past couple of years, and it's a spectacular record label. You know, 40-some-odd releases from 7 inches to LPs to everything in between, and uh, which realistically there isn't much in between except the 10-inch, but... Uh, as far as the sonic it's a great label i buy almost every single one of those their releases and uh, i love what the label does not only aesthetically but basically just dedicated to hardcore of all different shapes and sizes so anyways without further ado this is my conversation with evan and i will talk to you uh, after the interview is over I don't
2: know you, but you
3: know me.
4: I can't recall exactly when I first found out about uh, Mindset and what you were doing. But um, it was one of those things to listen to the records. I was like, this is cool. Um, and I know that uh, I, always, for a couple, for I think three or four years, I was doing Sound and Fury. And we always tried, me and my business partner, Joey, we're always trying to get you out. We were always uh, <laughs> out west.
1: We had a history of canceling Sound and Fury. I think we canceled like three yes. years in a row. We did play once, though, and it was awesome.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the years that you canceled were always with uh, myself and Joey, and it was always like, "Well, we want them to play, but we know they're probably not going to play."
1: <laughs> no, I was. Always, I'm a little embarrassed by that. I it's just we just never were able to pull that together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's hard.
4: I mean, plane flights and logistics.
1: Generally, we're a pretty we pretty well oiled machine, <laughs> but it sounded pretty, it never like right. that.
4: Um, but then, uh, so my first time actually watching you guys play was uh, when you came out here. I can't remember exactly when. But you played the uh, program Skate Shop in Fullerton. That was just last year. Yeah, that was yeah, awesome. It was, um, and it was one of those things where it was like, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, there's something that's just magical to watch a band play, or specifically hardcore bands to play in a small room. Whatever, listening to certain bands' records, they're basically they're kind of a dress rehearsal for when you want to see them live you know you just kind of get acquainted with the yeah definitely. so do you, do you feel that that's very indicative of kind of what the way that people react to mindset where it's like oh yeah like i just want to see them live like records are cool but i want to see them live
1: i've I definitely came to the realization over the years that i think one of the only reasons we were able to stay relevant without actually putting out a lot of music because we've been a band for a long time and really don't have that much music released but uh i think people were still into us because it was you know, fun and interesting to watch us play live. So we've always kind of prided ourselves on being a live band and not a studio band. Not that you can't be both, but uh, we definitely always, that's what we're really all about and what we're chasing is is the experience of playing music live. Right. I mean, it's fun to be in a studio, but that's sort of you know, you just in there for a weekend and then right. it's over. Well, yeah, we make records so that we can play shows. for But, you know, there's obviously bands
4: that just love the studio experience and love the creative freedom. And like, obviously there's something to be said about that. But, you know, when you are a, I guess, tried and true hardcore band, there's definitely, um, yeah, the anticipation is like, oh yeah, I just, I, I just want to feel that energy rather than, you know, how great was that guitar lead you played?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, Playing live for us is, I mean, it's everything. We've definitely, over the years, we've had like member changes. We always said there was like three rules. One, you had, you had to be straight edge, obviously. Two, you had to be a great live musician. And three, you had to treat your mother with respect. So there was always three three rules to being in mindset. But we definitely turned down great friends that couldn't, like, they were just boring live. Like, it just, you got to be live to be in mindset. That's the rule. Rule number two. Rule number two. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. You you didn't yeah. have to uh, uh, exclude anybody because they
1: were terrible to their mothers. We did actually. We well, kicked the kid out of the band because he he was like he was real shitty to his mom. What kind of person talks to their mom like this and gave him the boot? <laughs> wow, that's that's very believe that. That's not a joke. No, no.
4: I I mean I I, uh, I do think there's that weird relationship where obviously you know i mean kids that typically get into independent music and punk and hardcore uh you know you have an adversarial relationship with your parents at certain points but then you know eventually you kind of grow out of it and hopefully obviously respect your parents but that's cool that you actually yeah, just, put your foot down and were like no dude don't do that
1: yeah he, was, he i mean he was kind of all around uh could be a terror at times but that we were just like man that's a you don't treat your mom with respect like you can take a walk right
4: that's that i I, li- I really like that principle that's good i, I hope that uh yeah yeah, I, I hope other people, the uh, the influence uh, rubs off on people from that perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I hope he learned a valuable lesson.
4: Yeah, I, absolutely. He's like, oh, wow, maybe uh, maybe I need to rethink just the, the way that I speak to yeah. my mother.
1: Everyone should rethink it, reconsider it from time to time.
4: Because, um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing when you're obviously a teenager and you have that sort of like, like I said, that that push back and forth where you're like, I'm going to be my own person. But then, you know, when you're 24 years old and still being that same person, it's like, well, you know, maybe you can hanging up
1: even if your mom's kind of like a nag or kind of crazy like you still got to just like it's your mom like be be good to your mom I right, right i know that's if they take away anything from this interview just be nice to your mom right. and give her a hug and tell you what right 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 it
4: sounds like such a basic principle but yeah there are yeah. that is something you need to learn so backing up you yourself you are uh you, you are a self-described uh you know farm kid that is, was raised in rural Maryland, correct? Correct, yes. And so like, you know, paint me that picture. Like what, you know, are we talking about like the, the sort of idyllic farm life where it's like, you know, you had cows and chickens and, and horses and stuff. And how, how was that uh, all transpiring?
1: Uh, it was quite idyllic, I would, <laughs> I would say so. But it was, a, I mean, it was a working farm. My dad was a farmer. My brother is a farmer and uh, I'm not. But I grew up, you know, my first job was collecting eggs for a nickel and egg. I was, like, five years old, and then I moved up to, like, feeding, like, calves. And then eventually, like, I spent, you know, when I was 13, till the time I went to college, I I was milking cows. And, you know, I have, you know, guys that, are, like, Mike from Mindset, he's one of my oldest friends. He would he would come over to the farm, like, waiting for me to finish up milking cows so that we could go see like some punk show somewhere but no it was, it was a great life and I it's a life that uh I mean I, I think I learned a lot about just like hard work and like the value of you know creating things for yourself and solving problems and just being around animals and being in nature and it's it's something as I grow older And I mean I live in the city now and I'm I'm an architect I'm you know pretty far removed from milking cows and like feeding chickens but uh it's definitely something i've, I've grown to really appreciate P-
4: people that don't have any experience with um you know a small town or a communal vibe um it's it just it, it's totally eye-opening because you're just like wait everybody in town like knows each other it, it, it's such a a switch for most people that obviously get raised in a you know more urban environment
1: oh totally when i was well i know like when i went off to college i had this real sort of apprehension about going back home well going back wasn't a problem because the farm is like not even in the town. Like we're out on the outskirts of a one-stop light town, you know. Like, but I, I would have this like anxiety about like seeing people from high school. I, I think it was just this whole like I was trying to move beyond it and like create this new life in the city or whatever and with meeting new people and doing new things in college. But it's yeah, because I mean. And for me, I have an enormous family. Uh, my dad was had 13 brothers and sisters. My grandfather was the oldest of 20. Like, this is, like, some real storybook, like, weirdo farm shit. And so, like, literally this town is, like – like, I would – like, my girlfriend and I would go, you know, to the grocery store when we were visiting my mom. And I'd be like, yeah, that, that guy's my uncle. I don't know what his name is, but, like, he's definitely my uncle. <laughs> like – <laughs> he's a, he's a libel for sure and uh there's just they're everywhere man like our family reunions would there would be like three or four hundred people yeah you should yeah. Right. and i don't know that. Right. Yeah.
4: you can essentially you can essentially play a show to your family and it would be totally
1: huge oh it would be it'd be a, it'd be wild right. it'd be a possibly a literal barn burn. right <laughs> sure.
4: you like you mentioned you have to rely so much on um you know your own imagination like stuff isn't Uh, necessarily, you know, it's not a cultural hub. You're not being able to pick up on a lot of stuff that obviously other kids do just by sheer proximity of, of whatever that it is that they're into. Um,
1: Right. Like, I don't really know how to explain where mindset came from. Like we didn't have like mentors or like big brothers that like gave us, you know, true till death or like break down the walls. And we're like, Hey, like, this is what's cool. Like I honestly have no idea how we got into that and how it sort of became you know what, what it is today, but uh, right, somehow it, it worked out. I don't know, right, right. I mean, maybe it could have, maybe it didn't work out, you know, maybe, maybe we missed out on some, we should have got into black metal or something. <laughs> right. be, yeah, uh, we'd be living large right now. So, what
4: was, what was your family structure like? Like you said, your, your, uh, father ran the farm. I presume your mother was taking care of you and like, brothers and sisters.
1: Yeah. So, I have a, I have an older brother and he now runs the farm. Um, I have an older sister and a younger sister, and uh, yeah, two great parents. I had, a, I had a great childhood.
4: I definitely picture you as a uh, young child running around in overalls with no t-shirt. Um, is that a <laughs> did you? Have- I
1: would say over. If I had overalls on, I was overclothed. I was I was kind of like a feral child, just like running around. I never wore shoes, sure. like just like running around naked, like just totally. Uh, Uninhibited. right right
4: <laughs> well it's, it, <laughs> but, uh, it's great because yeah it's, it's a unique experience especially yeah the farther and farther away that our culture as a whole obviously uh, isn't connected to that because you know obviously i mean this is a much larger discussion but you know most people think of a farm and they think of where you were raised as opposed to um oh what if what is a factory farm like oh my god that's nothing like what i would imagine a farm to be like
1: right right um no my, my parents were really supportive of pretty much anything i wanted to do um like I was always kind of the weird one that was just like into something else. Like I got into, I was, you know, I got into band, I guess. Like I played the trumpet in middle school and no there was, and I was like artistic and I would draw and they'd like sort of encourage that and foster that, but nobody else in my family you know, was into music or drew and like, so then, at, you know, when I was in high school and I started hanging out with like the, you know, three local punk kids, um, they were like, yeah, well, you know, whatever you want to do. They, they just trusted me and trusted my independence. And then we ended up converting uh, one of the older barns into a club. Called the Greasy Goat Saloon, and we would have uh, un- like huge shows with like just crappy local bands. But like all the local kids would come out because there was nothing else to do. They just thought it was hilarious. Like we'd have like 300 people there for like a free show to see like really really bad bands.
4: It's um, without being too precious about it. It's very adorable that your your parents were just like. Well, uh, Evan's into some really weird stuff, but we're just going to let him uh, let him do what he needs to do.
1: Yeah, totally. I sort of returned their faith in me with, you know, I, I never really strayed him wrong. I was a good kid, you know. I, I don't know what I was going to do, but... Um, yeah, they trusted me, and I kind of did what I wanted to do, and it all worked out. Right.
4: Well, I, I find it's, it's always so interesting, too, and I'm sure you've experienced this with, with certain friends of yours that obviously, you know, misbehave or obviously uh, get in a lot of trouble. You're just like your life would be so much easier if you kind of just like didn't do that. Like it, 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 you can, you know, whatever, bend the rules that your parents have given you, where it's just like, all right, I need you home by, you know, midnight on a school night and you can't go to a show, but then you go to a show and arrive home at like 1159 and everybody's fine. Yeah. The, the kids that just act out where you're just like, come on, like you're making your
1: life so hard. To work within the, the system. You can't just go anti-system, man. You got to learn how to manipulate the system. I I learned that from an early age. Right. (laughs) Like, the system, you can make the system work for you. And if the system might just be your mom, you know, mm-hmm. just like, totally. It's a structure.
4: You just have to work yeah. within
1: it. Yeah, exactly.
4: Um, you know, I know you kind of described yourself as a, obviously as a, as a feral child, were you, um, you know, uh, were you outgoing? Or was it one of those things that you were, um, you know, kind of re- reserved? Like, where do you kind of place yourself in that
1: spectrum? I mean, I was definitely, I think I was always, I was independent and enjoyed working alone, but I was, confident and like well socialized. Like I was just kind of, I prefer to work alone than in groups a lot of times, which is still kind of something that carries through to my adulthood. But I, I mean, I was like a social kid. I had a lot of friends and I played little.
4: And so then as you started to kind of develop your, I guess, real identity, like once you started to go to high school, was was high school still in that general rural area or had you had moved to uh, Baltimore by that time?
1: Oh no. Uh, yeah. I mean, my high school was the next town over, but it's all basically... 'Cause there was no high school in my town. Right. <laughs> yeah, my family, the farm we have is like, you know, my brother just had a son and he's like fifth or sixth generation. So like we didn't move, you know, that we have some pretty deep roots there. But I went to college in DC and then went moved to Baltimore after that and then went back to DC for grad school and then moved back to Baltimore and that's where I am now. But Got it. no, my entire high school career, you know, my all my adolescence and teenage years were spent in this, uh, small town.
4: Okay. And so, and like you said, like you alluded to before, where you had no real, um, idea where I guess, independent culture started to kind of be introduced to you. Is it, you really just kind of feel like it, it just randomly showed up on you or your friend's doorstep and they, you kind of showed one another and you started bouncing, uh, bouncing those ideas back and forth.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would, it, it's just like, uh, we crawled out of the, the primordial ooze of this like, culture <laughs> vacuum. Right. And I'd say definitely, the person to give the credit to is Mike uh, from Mindset, um, and we've been you know we've been friends since since like freshman year. Um, he, he would go to like this local record store called Record of Tape Traders, and he would like order revelation releases because they didn't even stock them. H- how he found them, I don't know. It might have been like, I mean, I feel like we got like the Suicide Machine CD, and then found out about Minor Threat because they covered, like, I Don't Want to Hear It or something. And how, I don't know, he just, like, maybe got, like, a, you know, some CD and somebody was wearing a Gorilla Biscuit shirt and then he found Gorilla Biscuits. And then in really sort of the classic way of, like, reading liner notes and looking at band's T-shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I, I definitely sort of just followed his lead. And then, you know, eventually we started this band together. I, I grew up, like, my nobody listened to music in, in my family. Like, I don't really, like, understand the Beatles because I didn't grow up with it. Like, the Beatles mean nothing to me. Right. Uh, I, like, the only, like, musical memory I have from my childhood is my dad had, like, a John Cougar Mellencamp 8-track in his, like, old, like, 64, like, Chevy Beater pickup truck. Mm-hmm so, like, I know, you know, I know all the words of Jack and Diane, but that's just because there was like eight songs on that record and they just played them over and over again. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, so I kind of just like when I discovered when I started hanging out with like the local punk kids and that they, I just could, I was sort of tag along with them. And I think a lot of it was because like I wasn't until I went to college, I wasn't really all that into music. Um, I was always just kind of something that was playing in the background because I didn't grow up with like an appreciation that wasn't like instilled or fostered in me to appreciate music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've,
4: it was just a thing that was there.
1: Yeah, it's like I know I can sing all the words to any country song between like 96 and 2002 because it just played on a radio at the farm 24 hours a day and there's only like ever – 12 different country songs on the radio for like a given month and they just repeat them so like that stuff's just like beaten into me but it was just background music you know it's just like something to keep the tempo while you're milking cows right yeah You, you can't work in total silence
5: this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. we're sitting here it's like june and you're like where has the time gone and everybody's like oh my gosh i have no idea i gotta like accomplish all these other things take a moment Focus on the things that obviously, for one, matter to you, but for two, look back. Be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into, I've done it for my marriage, I've done it for myself personally, and I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash Ray.
2: how doers get more done shop for father's day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
4: and then, so the, uh, as you obviously started to, you know, dive more deeply into uh, independent music, um, and you started to, like I said, attach yourself more to that identity, um, was, uh, were any of the ideas that you started to, you know, become exposed to obviously, um, you know, threaten your parents in regards to like, like, okay, we were cool with this up to a point, Evan, but like now, now this is kind of, this is really weird stuff that you're into that we just can't wrap our heads around.
1: Maybe just subtle about things. And I don't really, like, I, I don't even know if my brothers and sisters really even understand, like, I don't know if they know the name of my band or that I own a record label and I'm like fairly close with them. I see them regularly, but I just, I don't talk about, Things I'm a, maybe a bad communicator in that regard, and I never—it's just so hard to explain sometimes. Maybe that's something I need to get over and actually talk to my family. But, uh, <laughs> like I know, like for a long time, like I would be on tour, and my you know my mom or dad would give me a call and be like, "Hey, are you coming up this weekend?" I'm like, "No, I'm in like Seattle, or I'm in California, or I'm in like Germany right now." You know, I just. Yeah, I don't, what was the question? No, 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 <laughs> Can't remember no, 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 I mean, it's a, it's a great t- Oh, no, my parents weren't ever wigged out by it, and I think that they, um. yeah, I think maybe they just thought it was kind of like a quirky thing that I was into, and, it, you know, I have friends with, like, you know, mohawks and bullet belts and stuff. My parents are always super cool, like, super welcoming, like, our house literally didn't have locks on the doors, and, like, kids would just stay there for, like, Days at a time. Um, my parents were just, like, really cool, really – for, you know, a bunch of small-town farm people you would otherwise think would be, like, you know, closed-minded. They were just kind of like – they trusted me and they – if this was a friend of Evan's, it was, you know, a friend of ours and they were, they were totally cool with it. Right,
4: right. Well, uh, that is amazing because obviously it's really easy to – uh, like you were kind of, you know, uh, mentioning, it's really easy to paint a small town mentality on a person and be like, Oh yeah, they're hicks. They probably don't understand anything. And like, you know, they, th- there'd just be no uh, way that they would start to wrap their head around what their son is getting into. But it's just, uh, it's awesome that they were obviously, um, so fostering of whatever you were getting
1: into. My parents are really like, kind of urged independence and kind of like, just like push you out of the nest and you like, either you fly or you don't, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Not that there wasn't like love and support, but they're, they're really like uh, – like I wasn't allowed to have uh, train wheels on my bike. It was like you either ride the bike or you don't ride the bike. And so I think that like has carried over – that's something I like tell people or think about a lot where it's just like if you're going to do something, like do it and be smart and don't fuck it up. Right. And it, yeah,
4: and if, if you do, then you fall and then hopefully you yeah. learned a lesson because of that. Right. Uh, exactly. I know you've mentioned in previous interviews before where um, uh, your your family uh, had a strong Catholicism strain to it, and then you—I uh, don't know where you self-identify as of right now. Like, would you define yourself more as uh, more spiritual than religious? Like, uh, where where did that kind of, um, I guess, shift um, in your mentality start to, uh, be, you know, be, become more of your identity?
1: Um, well, I was definitely—I mean, I, I was raised Catholic. Very Catholic, like 20 kids in the family Catholic.
4: Right, like, yeah, um, yeah no, no birth control Catholic, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I went to, when I went to college, which was the Catholic University of America, uh, which I I went to, I was, I suppose, Catholic at the time, not, like, super enthusiastic, but it was just, I didn't really know any different. Not many colleges have architecture programs, and they were sort of, like, the architecture program that most, like, intrigued me. So that's where I went to college. and uh, But it was actually at Catholic University that I was, like, well, this is not for me and kind of, you know, stepped away from it for a while. Like, I think I kind of went through like classic, like being angry at the church and sort of this quiet rebellion and thought about it a lot, but like took a lot of like religious and like theology classes and stuff and just was able to explore different ways of thinking and different ideologies and things like that. I don't know if I mean I'm definitely not religious. As I've gotten older, I've actually really grown to appreciate Catholicism as like a cultural idea of like how it affected how I was raised. And I actually for a while I had like a lot of fun trying to figure out people I knew in hardcore that were also raised Catholic because mm-hmm. I feel like that you can like I can you can just like smell them, right. you know, like <laughs> totally. they, they just got this that that like guilt just like wicking off of them at all times. It's like total repression and stuff like that. Right. But I think Catholicism has a lot of beautiful imagery, and there's a lot of like like this sort of quiet passion to it that, as I've gotten older, I've like really learned to appreciate. I Not, I mean, I don't embrace it. I would, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't go to church. I'm not angry about it anymore.
4: Right, right. Um, yeah, you went you went through your uh you know whatever dark night of the soul journey and be like okay well i came out the other end but uh i'm not not burning that bridge behind me and being like oh that was worthless
1: i were like upset that i like stopped going to church and stuff but uh again i think it's this might not even been like a support thing but i think we just as maybe like a quintessential catholic thing we just like don't talk about things right (laughs) hey this like there's just constant huge elephant in the room that nobody's talking about and we're all like just repressed and sad and quiet.
4: Evan, this seems to be a theme. I think I think I think maybe we should have an intervention and you should talk to your family about some stuff.
1: <laughs> I think that they might like that. maybe I should <laughs> Well, just you know, I just kind of keep to myself, man. I'm just doing my own thing
4: and No, I understand. Well, it's I mean, it definitely is hard um uh, you know, kind of going back to the point you were making in regards to like, well, how can I tell my, you know, brother or or, or sister or whoever uh that you know like I run a record label cuz like they would look at that and they would be like, "Oh, so you're like Jay-Z?" And like, that's not, that's not going to make any sense to them, you know? So it's like, uh, you would have to explain, you know, whatever, 25 years of hardcore history in order to be,
1: (laughs) be like, where where are you at now? Maybe I'm just a coward, man. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, uh, maybe I, I don't know. We just just boiled it right down to it. Yeah. I think that they know that I'm in a band. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. They know I can't sing though. Right. Like I'm tone deaf. So I think there, there's a sort of a, foundation of confusion of like how is this guy like a fairly you know prolific recording artist and like can't sing a note to save his life right. so then they like had you know like oh he, my dad just call me the lead screamer so they had like a big kick out of that and then like straight edge is weird but now they like i'm like almost 30 now so like oh, okay ev has never drank like he's not going to start drinking now so we'll stop asking him and uh you know every now and then it's like oh you don't eat you don't eat meat still? I'm like, yeah, still don't eat meat, you know. Like, so that's kind of weird too. And like, but I'm not like, yeah, I, I just don't talk about stuff, you know. Like every now and then, I would like, you know, text my mom or dad from somewhere on tour and be like, hey, like I texted my dad from like the grassy knoll and send him a picture, and right. he thought, you know, he thought that was cool. But I did. Uh, so my dad uh, passed away uh, two, almost two years ago, it'll be two years ago next month, and it was kind of interesting at like the viewing and the funeral and stuff. Um, a lot of people be like oh you're you're the rocker you're like you you must be evan you're the you're the rock star of the family and it was funny because like i feel like all these people that knew him he that's what he i never knew this but that's what he like told them not like oh my son's like you know he is successful in business or whatever and you know like or like lives in lives in baltimore or, like went to grad school or whatever you know it's just like yeah he's a rocker man like he's going on tour and like yeah he's making records and stuff. And like, I never knew that that was something that he would want to share or like tell people. And that was kind of like, I was touched by that. It was cool.
4: Dude. That's so honestly, that's the, it gives me chills to hear that because that's so special when you're able to, um, I mean, my father passed away about six or so years ago and it is one of those things where it's like, you don't, um, and I know this is going to sound very, uh, I guess obvious, but it's like, you don't know how another person views you. And then right. even your parents, who are the people you're closest to. And then it's like to hear that reflection, Uh, push back on you where it was just like oh wow like you know he might not have said it every day where he was like proud of me or something like that but just the fact that he was like oh yeah dude evan's killing it out there like it's just yeah it's really really awesome to be able to like you said at least hear that so you know where your impression of yourself to him kind of stood
1: yeah and I think my mom has Facebook and I think she might follow the mom. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice. She's probably, knows, she probably knows what I'm doing right, right now. She's dabbling. Yeah. She's it. dabbling into that yeah. now. Uh, she's, yeah.
4: Where did the, um, so obviously like you, you, you've mentioned you, uh, you know, really focused on, on school and obviously the, uh, pursuit of knowledge from that perspective. Um, you uh and architecture is obviously like you said what you you do you do currently where did that kind of interest come from because clearly um you know you weren't looking at very large ornate buildings from your upbringing right. so like where did that kind of uh seep into your your
1: being yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that too because i think like cities still like blow my mind sometimes which is it was i i mean i just i i love it so much but like i, I grew up on a farm where our neighbor was like a mile away and it was my grandma like there was you know and uh, urban environments still kind of blow my mind if I really kind of stop and think about it. But uh, I think, I mean, a lot of people that stumble into architecture, their the story is always like, yeah, I was I was like good at math, but like I like to draw. And for me, it was kind of the same thing. But I actually really liked to. I was always like artistic and like the kid that would doodle and like stuff. But I also like building things. So you know, I would like spend my summers like working construction. Um, when I was in high school and got really into the idea of, you know, the the art and de- design and building and stuff like that. And I've always really been into creating things, which I think is, I mean, that's sort of a big motivating factor with like having a record label is creating tangible objects and like the sort of gratification of, of you know, holding something like an artifact, like a physical artifact. Um, so it's, it's really satisfying to to have an idea and then to put it on paper and then to share it with others and then all of a sudden there's a groundbreaking and things are getting built and you can really sort of see things
4: that's amazing yeah that's awesome were were you a uh were you a big lego kid
1: yeah definitely Uh, i was definitely big into legos and uh which, which was cool too like growing up on a farm like for a while before i wanted to be an architect which i you know i figured i wanted to be an architect at like 15 or something but before that i wanted to be a zookeeper which makes a little more sense. But, like, so I had, like, a flock of emu and a llama, and, like, my parents were like, yeah, what's an emu? Like, oh, I'll get you an emu. And then, so I would, like, build, like, sheds for them, like, just, like, my dad would help me, you know. So I was actually, like, building things. You know, I, like, helped the family build barns and things like that. So it was kind of, like, graduated from Legos pretty quickly just out of, like, necessity. Right, right, right. out of the
4: fact Uh, that I actually want this real-life thing here.
1: right. So, I mean, most kids growing up, if they want to be a zookeeper, aren't given an acre of land and, you know, yeah. the infrastructure to feed like a small flock of right. animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that,
4: that is very not common. It's <laughs> yeah. um, so a,
1: cool, a cool childhood. It was weird. Yeah. It was cool. Well, no,
4: it's. I mean, it, it definitely paints a, a broader picture of, of your experience and definitely isn't just the tried and true. Um, yeah, I was raised in a city and this is what I did and blah, blah, blah. When did Mindset start to exist? Was that more so in college?
1: Before Mindset, there was a band called Anti-Wasteoids, which was a uh, perfect, perfect band name. Perfect band name. uh, That it's like looking back now, like that band was perfect for what it was, which was like just the manifestation of how naive and ignorant we were. um, That we like wanted to have a straight edge band and we really liked Chain of Strength and... But we had no idea that, like, the first step and desperate measures and, like, all these awesome bands were, like, playing. Also, loved Gorilla Biscuits and YOT and Chain of Strength. Like, we were going to see, like, lower class brats and, like, the boils. Sure, right. Because we, <laughs> the, ca- the casualties. Up, you know? Right. So, we, like, missed all these awesome, like, shows that we didn't know about. But so I actually wasn't an, an original member of that band. I don't even know if that's even relevant. But eventually, I, he started singing for that band because I can't couldn't play music for shit and still really can't. But uh, so Mike, who's you know sort of the original guy, was like, "Hey, you want to sing for this band?" He was singing and wanted to play guitar or whatever. Um, and then over the years, that evolved. You know, one day we're like, anti wastoids is like a whack name. Like nobody's going to take us seriously. Like what were we thinking? Like we got to change the name and uh, change the name to Mindset." And I guess that was probably like two thousand seven. Okay shortly after that we started uh i like begged andy norton of praise to let us open this tfs show in baltimore like our lives depended on it and uh then we played that show and they thought we were cool we started hanging out with them and then like a year later we were putting out a record on react and then now i'm doing this podcast with you All right. <laughs>
4: Yeah, fast-forwarding things. (laughs)
1: But yes, so it started out like, uh, it's just kind of like some kids in a basement, weird kids, and we were all like straight or whatever and wanted to start this band, and then it just kind of, once we found the good shit, it kind of just spawned from there. Yeah,
4: well, I think that there's a charming idea in there in regards to, um, you know, when you start your, your first band and you're obviously just pulling from the people who are, close to you by proximity. It's not like you're necessarily have the pick of the litter to be like, Oh, all right, well you are exactly into this strain of hardcore. So I'm going to go ahead and play with you. It's just like, all right, you're the punk dude that's super into dead Kennedys. And like, I guess you'll play guitar. And so then you do get this weird amalgamation of just like people and influences that just don't make any sense together. Um,
1: The original bass player of anti-wasteoids did not have a car and lived outside of Baltimore like an hour and a half from where we live, who I'm still really good friends with him. I saw him the other day, or Mike would rather. I don't know if I really participated in this, would drive three hours round trip to pick this kid up to practice in his basement. Oh, brutal. Because the, you know, there was like, like how many kids from our town could be in this band? Like two. Right. <laughs> two kids, me and the other guy. And so we found this guy like on MySpace or something. Right. And, you had to import him. You know, he was in the band for a while. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's awesome.
0: The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com.
1: Welcome
4: to. Bird.
3: A free spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
4: And so then, uh, you know, Mindset has always uh, specifically been a band that has been uh, very uh, selective, obviously, over the... you know, the touring that you do and the sort of activity level, just because everybody in the band has obviously built their life around, um, you know, quote unquote, real life things. Um, was there ever kind of that push and pull in your guys' heads in regards to once, you know, more touring opportunities came up and, you know, a cool fests or whatever, like once these things yeah. kind of came your direction, was it hard for you to kind of like, I guess, keep your head down and be like, dude, I got to finish school. I got to do this. Um, Was there any sort of, uh, you know, I guess internal uh, hand ringing that was going on at practices being like,
1: yeah, definitely. Okay, Um, We, it just never sort of lined up. It just never synced up. Like either I was in school and then when I got, you know, I took a break between undergrad and grad school. And like, I I went at that point, like, I mean, I graduated undergrad in like 2008, like, and then the, you know, economy crashed and specifically the construction industry and I got laid off and I was like shit yeah I got all this free time like let's go on tour but like right at that point like another guy had like just started school and then like by the time he was out of school I had started grad school and then you know one guy's a teacher so he had summers off and wanted to tour in the summer but like he couldn't do anything during the school year and um, it just never really worked out and we definitely turned down a lot of a lot of cool opportunities that at this point I, I don't regret at all because I'm really sort of proud of the way we we handled things, and I guess we learned over time that it was sort of. I think that there was a give and take. Like it became established that Mindset's not going to like tour six months a year. We're not going to do a full U.S. tour. So if you want to see Mindset, like you might have to meet us halfway. Mm-hmm. Like if you live in Arkansas and we're playing Tennessee, like you're going to have to drive to Tennessee to see us play. And we met a lot of awesome people for like. I mean, we've played a decent amount of shows. It's not like we never played shows, and we have done like a U.S. tour, but. Um, I think we were just selective and very efficient and we're lucky to be given opportunities where we could play fewer shows to more people, like play fests and um, just play with, you know, other like bigger, cooler bands that people were into and like really do a lot with the little, you know, time that we had.
4: Right. R- reflecting, maybe you can remember uh, a specific opportunity. Like what, what was the one that all you guys were just like, crap we got to say no to this because of these specific reasons what was uh like you said not from a regret standpoint but just be like oh man that was a bummer that we couldn't have done that
1: i guess in uh one i remember off the top of my head we got asked i got a call from scott vogel to tour europe with terror in a bus and for us at the time would have been like like we had hardly done anything right. and he like right so we were going to like do this bus tour with terror over europe and i i like just started Grad school, and was like, I can't drop out of I can't drop out of school to, to do this tour. And thanks, I mean, who knows what could have happened if we had, we had done that. But like that, that's sort of a very, that's a, I think that's a good example of like, a, a crossroads that we hit where we're like, either we do like if if I drop out of school and we do this tour, like we might be a full time touring band, right? Or I could you know stay in school. Yeah, yeah, that, but, that
4: that fork in the road moment where it's like,
1: oh, yeah. I mean, and now at, at this point, our schedules are so it's really difficult to sync things up that we turn down stuff all the time but it's also like it's become so common that it's not right no it's like losing sleep over right because
4: like you said you're you're you kind of there's the expectation is met currently (laughs) and you guys are you guys know where everybody's in the same level and that's always you know it's sometimes it's hard to find that initially but then once you find it it's like all right cool this is where we're at now
1: yeah no i mean i I don't know if it's not something i could like recommend to another band i think we just kind of were able to pull it off like because people are into us and people that are, you know, not, we're not the biggest fan, but the people that, that understand and like mindset, like I think are really, really sort of committed to what we're doing and really understand what we're doing and appreciate it. So like when we do a California weekend, like we, I know like one time we did a California weekend and these kids drove from Texas and came to all three shows. A, Cause they were like, yeah, we know you're not going to play Texas. <laughs> <laughs> right.
4: We know, we know we can't get you convince you to go yeah. here. That's it, that It's interesting. It kind of leads to another question I was going to ask you. Um, and this, this can definitely be in reflection of your band, but then also, I guess the uh, larger state of uh, hardcore music in general, where it's like, it always, um, I I'm a little bit older than you, uh, but not, to, I mean, we definitely are part of the same generation. I'm 34. And it's like, I look at certain bands, um, that whatever, uh, maybe either never got their due just because they existed for, I guess, longer than what your typical lifespan of a hardcore band is supposed to be. Cause like, honestly, you can point to so many bands that, uh, kind of fall under this genre of music and it's like they release two full lengths, And then if they do that and they release a third, like people are just like, Oh my God, I can't even believe they released three full links. Like they should have been broken up by this point. Um, yeah. Where it's like a band, like count me out. You know, a lot of people, um, uh, look at what they did as being like, wow, they existed for a long time and they put out a lot of music. Um, but then, you know, towards the end, it was definitely, there was, I'm speaking more so from maybe just like the West coast perspective where there was less enthusiasm for them, even though they were still writing really captivating music. Yeah. So is, is it, is it kind of weird to, uh, I guess, watch the, uh, fickleness <laughs> of, of hardcore exist, where, um, it's like, you know, obviously one band is hot for six months and then all of a sudden that, you know, goes away just as quickly as it, uh, uh, as it came, um, you know, and then I, I guess, like I said, reflective over your band where it's just like, Oh, well, wow, like uh, people are still coming to show. So that's cool. So I know there's like 5 million questions wrap up in there, but um, <laughs> yeah, just kind of uh, talk about that general idea of uh, the observation of a uh, trends, I guess, more or less.
1: Yeah. I think you and I, for example, our generation and we've been around for long enough to to see the, the waves that sort of come and go and how trends sort of pick up and die. Um, and it's just sort of like I, I think it, at this point it's like yearly, um, where like oh, what's what's hot this year? Like, what's the thing this year? And then like, um, which you know maybe that keeps hardcore fresh. I think hardcore like hardcore in this decade is like ultra postmodern, and what I mean by that is it's like there's no like innovation. Everything's sort of like this like caricature of something that came before, and like mindset included, like. For sure. And I I mean, so it's not like the waves that come aren't like, oh man, like this scene is like creating this like new like style and they're like progressing something. It's like, oh no, like what's now is like, you know, like some 90s shit that I don't understand or whatever. Um, But it's just sort of expected. I think it comes and goes and like their bands pop up and they're the big bands and then like younger kids want to emulate that and they start bands and then like that's just sort of the nature of things. I think bands stick around for a lot longer than they traditionally did in hardcore. Like Minor Threat was around for like three, maybe four years, and like the impact that they had in that short amount of time is like insane. Right. Uh, a lot of bands like that. So like for us, like, like we've been around for like like way too long. Like we, it's almost like embarrassing that we've like the little we've been able to do in like seven or eight years. Right. Bands just stick around for so long that it's like. I don't know. if, I mean, I would assume bands. Some bands hit like a peak of popularity and then go down. But I don't know if we see that as much anymore. I feel like a lot of bands are able to coast for a while, and if not, they it's like the, then they kind of hang it off. Yeah, yeah.
4: No, it's just it, it's just interesting. I just find it so reflective over hardcore in general, where it's just like it seems to be this like either a timestamp or, like I said, your, the release of your second LP is the uh, the moment that the decline starts to hit, and it's just so it's so strange. Even though, like I said, it ha- it has no really attached value to the music that's being created, you know? Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely oversaturate, uh, you you know, whatever tiny, you know, niche market you exist in and like hardcore super, it's hard enough to write one good hardcore LP, let alone two or three. Yeah, I can't even like the conversation came up for us to like write another LP and like it's, that would be impossible. Like we could, it's just could not happen. Like we're not at a point where we can like make, a hardcore lp that wouldn't be mediocre it's so so difficult so it's it's no wonder that like third lps are often like <laughs> yeah kind of like laugh you know clowned on because they're you know
4: they're hard to create what you, yeah you
1: either doing what you've already done twice or you're trying to move into something that's beyond hardcore and then hardcore kids are gonna like revolt against it. right
4: them. right they're like it's the worst thing ever yeah. why are you why are you introducing metal to this thing dude lay off <laughs>
1: yeah Definitely, never introduce metal. Right, right.
4: my advice. (laughs) Yeah, you're like there's a hard line in the sand for that. Yeah, one of the uh, ideas of obviously since you, uh, you know, like you mentioned, you're architect. You live in a world that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily um, have any connection to obviously punk or hardcore. And I'm sure a lot of the people you run across are probably, you know, not. Uh, knowledgeable in regards to that. So is it, uh, is it interesting for you to be able to navigate in a world that uh, obviously has no context for, you know, what what is like the, the building blocks of your life? Um, is it interesting to kind of navigate within that context of that world?
1: I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't think see it really. I think when I was younger, maybe I, I would sort of think about my life as being like two different worlds. And I, I, there was definitely some conflict at times where it was like, what crowd was I like trying to keep up with where like, you know, maybe I wasn't doing active enough with music and I felt like my band was kind of falling behind and then maybe I wasn't active enough in my career and I felt like you know my peers you know people I graduated with were starting to get had me and like definitely you know kind of see things separately but now it's just I mean it's just like my life this is just like how I do things and I think it's just it's all just kind of part of who I am and what I do that it's everything's like part of the way I live I mean I'll, the conversation doesn't come up often like if I'm in a meeting with like a new client that I'm not I haven't really felt out yet like I'll make sure my tattoos are covered up and um, but every now and then I run into somebody that's like, you know, grew up, up in punk and hardcore. And I think that's more common now than it used to be mm-hmm. uh, just by the nature of, you know, there's more people, you know, every year there's more people that have been exposed to it. But like those people are now able to have like functioning lives and have white collar jobs and stuff. Yeah, right. They, it,
4: it, it is cool because I definitely think that there's a, a, a more particularly our generation of people that now have are doing you know really creative and exciting work in so many different fields um and it, it's so awesome when you're able to run across a person that has the context for it because you just uh there's that shorthand knowledge of just like oh dude, like we came't like we probably went to the same shows or we probably did the yeah. same thing and it's like you're attracted to those people and you would like want to want to work with them that much closer because of that sort of common bond
1: yeah, I think there's definitely like a quick little connection like this like you you both sort of experience this like little secret world, yeah um, and I think people that I mean, I tend to get along well with people that are into punk music. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just sort of like it works out real well. Yeah, I would hope
4: so. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned before, you uh, you, you are the proprietor, uh, owner of React, and I, I thought that was um, a, a very interesting. Uh, changing of the guards, obviously, when Ram gave the label to you back in what was it 2012? I think was it one of those things that you had to uh, kind of, I guess, explore yourself whether or not um, you wanted to, uh, to do it. Um, was it difficult for you to, I guess, take the plunge, even though you had been obviously helping a Ram for a long time, doing stuff alongside the label, was it difficult for you to say yes to it? Or was it kind of like, well, I guess, I guess I'll do this.
1: Uh, probably should have been more difficult for me to say yes. It, it, I think I ready to dive in, you know, face first as soon as the opportunity arose. But that's, I think that's kind of my nature with things like that. I'm, my confidence kind of gets the better of me, but because um, it is a lot of work, I and mean, Ram definitely stressed that, like, if you're going to do this, like, you need to really be committed to it. Because I mean, obviously, it was his baby and something he sort of created out of nothing, and you know, wanted to make sure it was gonna, the torch, torch was going to be passed and able to to burn brightly. But um, and he he really helped out with the transition. He's still, you know, I still talk to him almost daily. We're great friends, and like, um, you know, he's he's definitely said like he's happy with how things worked out and he's he's stoked on everything so nice
4: that's the biggest but yeah biggest i mean compliment. i was just
1: like it was yeah it was, it's great to hear that but when it was the opportunity arose it was just like hell yeah
4: we'll figure out the details later let's just do it
1: <laughs> yeah that kind of thing gets me in trouble sometimes i'm just like less i'm just, sort of just like i shoot first ask questions later and those questions are like how am, actually am i gonna handle this right but uh,
4: right yeah, you, you go, you thing. go in both guns blazing and then it's like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I don't have all of the bullets needed to accomplish the job.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great, great. No, oh,
4: thanks. I'm full of them. <laughs> the, <laughs> really pulled, pulled that together for me. Yeah, no problem. You seem uh, very focused on the idea. Um, and I think this is something that um, is it, still common, but, um, maybe people don't express it the same way where you seem very focused on contributing to, I guess, hardcore, uh, music, the music scene that you obviously uh, learned so much from, um, in ways like obviously like you know record label and like obviously participating in interviews and zines and kind of like uh you know contributing uh, beyond just like obviously attending shows and playing in a band um where do you think that kind of uh stems from like is it that sheer like you want to give back what's been given to you or is there some or other you know i guess motive from your perspective
1: that's definitely a huge part of it is, like, I, I, I know how, like, important hardcore can be and how important punk music can be and, like, how inspiring it can be and empowering and, like, how important it was for me. Appreciate the opportunity to be able to sort of, like, you know, pass that along, we'll say. I know, like, I met Ian McKay one time at a show at Fort Reno in D.C. when I was younger. And I remember, like, you know, I was, like, so nervous. I was, like, stammering and, like, didn't, like, form a sentence. I was, like, just in awe of this guy. And all I could, I just said, like, your music has had a huge impact on my life. Thank you. And his response was, you know, music kicked my ass. I'm happy to return the favor. And I just thought that was, like, the coolest way to put it. And, like, that, so for me, like, I, I definitely, especially as I've gotten older, like, I I like to be able to, or I hope that I I can sort of take what I've learned and, like, give that to somebody who might be struggling with, like, you know, confidence or, like, trying to figure out where they fit in and, and really sort of empowering them to be able to like have the confidence to make decisions on their own and create things for themselves.
4: Yeah. Cause obviously that's the only way uh, a music scene will continue to thrive is obviously if people, you know, decide to contribute as opposed to being, you know, elitist and like, this is my thing. You're never going right. to know about it.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, I'm definitely happy to talk or share or whatever. And I mean, for, I, I mentioned this before too, but especially with the record label is like, I'm really sort of m- motivated by creating things like creating objects and artifacts and that's like that's what really lives on like you know a blog post will kind of like disappear you know into the ether or whatever but you know a record like i i have records that were made you know decades ago and it's still the same thing it's like freezing in time what what was going on and i like i like being able to contribute to that process of like adding these artifacts to the history of to what we're
4: doing yeah i mean i like the way you put it because that, that's exactly what it is i mean obviously music is an artifact and essentially these are um regardless of how it sounds like these are folk stories like these are these are yeah definitely. and uh, I, I think a lot of people don't view it as such like you know it's like uh, they obviously with music being kind of disposable and it's just like well yeah if you're if you view it as such then it is but like you said if you're contributing physically to the world it's like there's uh yeah, there's that uh, level of permanence that doesn't exist in many right. other places. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm just curious for my own uh, uh, my own brain with the, uh, the architecture stuff. So, what's your I guess discipline, for lack of a better term, within that? Like, are you uh, focused on you know public works, or where, where do you kind of land in there?
1: Definitely, sort of general architecture is, is what I do. I, I really enjoy residential architecture because it's more of like a one-on-one conversation with. People and trying to, you know, Im- improve and enhance their, their lifestyle through design. But um, I'm kind of a – I guess at this point in my career, I'm a bit of a utility man. I kind of – I'm doing anything from like – right now I'm working on a carport and a like a huge grocery store. Okay.
4: You work for like a, a firm that obviously like gets these bids and then you're able to um... – you know, be, be able to put that into practice?
1: I do like contract freelance contract work with different firms. Oh, got it. It's kind of hard to explain, but I'm, I'm sort of like, some projects are just me on my own and some projects, you know, I have uh, a guy that, you know, I, I would call my boss that it's like, I'm almost like on a retainer relationship with where I'm, you know, I bill him hourly for my services, but we're sort of a company together. And then, you know, other architects will hit me up and be like, Hey, I need some, I need some help this week. Can you help me like wrap this project up?
4: So, got it. Got it. Yeah. I just, I, I I, I think it ties so nicely into what we were just talking about in regards to like uh, artifacts and obviously being able to um, historically capture something um, and be able to reflect that out to the world where it's like um, you, you're going to get what you put into it. You know, like the the more you look into the way that it's like the plaque on the wall and whatever else you're deciding to consume by that, you're going to become more engrossed with that and the same thing could be said about a record that's coming out on react the more you're reading the liner notes the more it's going to be meaningful to you
1: yeah definitely
4: well dude i really really appreciate you hanging out and uh, hopefully this was a, a a slight departure from the usual interviews that you do
1: <laughs> no it was great I, I appreciate appreciate the opportunity for sure
4: hey that's the end of the conversation right remember i'm telling you i'm trying to do a different outro so i'm not just like hey there was that conversation so hey maybe i'm trying to be a little more abrasive to you but that was great i love that conversation evan was uh, very revealing and just a unique story you know when do you become a hardcore kid when you live on a farm <laughs> evan shows you that lineage so thank you as always to our ever present producer tom richfield and um maybe one of these days like we can make him move to the united states do you think that would be possible i think he should live here right because he lives in the UK right now. Yeah, I think he should move to the States. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out. And visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com, obviously, for those of you that live on the internet, which is basically everybody. And email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate the email to let me know what you think, whether it's future guests, whatever you want to correspond with. And I promise, for those of you I have neglected recently, I promise I will right back at some point in the near future because I've let those emails languish in the bottom of my inbox and I apologize. That's it. Until next week, please be safe, everybody.
5: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp.
0: The hottest games, right from Vegas. And all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at high fivecasino.com.
1: High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary, void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions supply. See website for details at high the number five High five casino.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.